This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast this week is Evan Price of Green Cheek Beer. Welcome to the podcast, Evan. Thank you, thank you. I did get it right. It is Green Cheek Beer, right? Yeah, Green Cheek Beer. It's perfect. perfect. I am super excited. We're going to not talk about hazy IPAs. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about hazy IPAs, but we're going to talk about West Coast-style IPAs and uh, the new ways that brewers on the West Coast are taking that uh, uh, venerated classic, now classic style. I mean, it seems like so old. It's, what, 15 years old? Yeah. you know, and putting new twists on it and incorporating some of the kind of flavor forward approaches uh, learned from some or other styles of IPA making and bringing that back into the West Coast style. Uh, it's going to be a fun conversation. Can't wait. But first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, GD Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. Thinking outside the box, whether it's a simple relocation of the utility connections for a complex buildup or ground level design and engineering, GD is ready to meet the challenge. Contact GD Chillers today at 800 555 0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Mention this podcast and receive up to $1,000 worth of glycol with the purchase of any new GD Chiller. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Yeah. Definitely mention this podcast if oh, you're absolutely. in the market for a G&D chiller. Yeah, a thousand bucks. Yeah. Uh, also, Tavor transports you to craft brewery bar stools all over the country. They obliterate the geographical divide that prevents you from walking directly through the doors of any brew pub. Don't just read about life. Drink it. Download the free Tavor app to get sought-after independent craft beer delivered right to your door. Use code BREWING for $10 in cold, hard beer money. And that just ships all over the states? Uh, they're in quite a few states. I can't tell you exactly how many, but it's a kind of interesting strategy that they have there to kind of build their own distribution network and yeah, get a door-to-door beer. Yeah, pretty cool. It is kind of cool. Uh, everything's changing for getting beer to people and uh, getting beers into people's hands. So kind of cool to see folks uh, not just doing the way that it's always been done. Oh, man, or just the, you know, the wait-in-line thing or, um, yeah, just... What's wrong with waiting in line, Evan? No, I'm I'm like look, I'm, I I love the waiting in line thing. It's great for my business, but like you know, uh, I've waited in line once for a beer, and it yeah. was for um, oh man, it was for Isabel Proximus uh, when Last Abbey did that big collab, and only the first and only time I've ever done like yeah. a big beer beer release. That one was probably worth it, though. Oh my god, it was worth it. Yes, it was absolutely worth it. That um, that was I think that was definitely one of the. That was the first goose kind of styled beer that I had ever had. Um, I hadn't had um, uh, Cantillon or any of the like true lambics at that point in my life, and just having that beer and going and sitting back and going like, what, what is going on? Right, right. No adjuncts, you know, but just this insanely, you know, um, incredible uh, beer that you know just leaves this like this memory stamp um, uh, that lasts a long time. Yeah, yeah. And so you're a Southern California guy. Walk me a little bit through your arc of brewing and uh, what got you to where you are now uh, launching Green Cheek Beer Company, uh, what, it was about two and a half years ago? Yeah, 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 yeah. We opened um, June 2017. 
Um, I've been, yeah, so I've been in Southern California my whole life, and I, I started homebrewing after getting back from a Euro trip when I was 21. And so when I was 21, I started homebrewing, and, um, or maybe it was 22, something like that. Yeah, 21. And so then I just started homebrewing because a friend told me about it. I was awful at it. Um, I kept making these beers and I'd get so mad because I'd get so excited about, about it. I'd finish it and then I would taste it in the end and I'd be like, what am I doing? I can buy better beer than this. Like, <laughs> sure, sure. I'm putting so much time and effort into just, you know, fucking something up. And so I, I decided that I had to go work for a brewery in order to learn how to make better beer because, um, you know, forums weren't, weren't what they are now. Right, right. Um, the amount of information that, I mean, just you guys push out there. I'm constantly reading going like, whoa, like, why wasn't this available whenever I was homebrewing? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But um, anyway. It's part of the arc of discovery that got us to where we are now in the world of brewing with this much information available. So oh, yeah. you paid to dues, you know. But, but you're right. At that time, some of the best knowledge came from actually doing it hands-on at a brewery. Yeah. So I started working at BJ's. Um, they were closing down breweries at the time. And so I jumped around to three different locations during my two years there. I went to Hangar 24 Brewery as their first brewer um, years, yeah, years ago. Uh, I was there for about a year and a half. Then I went to Taps Fish House and Brewery, and I worked under Victor Novak, who's now the Golden Road Brewmaster. And, um, yeah, we... We had a lot of fun together there. Um, we were brew pub group of the year, two years in a row that I was there. And um, man, it was just, Is that you where know, you got your taste for winning? <laughs> I, you know, like it is, it is absolutely one of those like feelings that um, you can't ever really like describe. And the moment, like the moment you get that, uh, that first medal, it's like, um, it's something that you want to continue to experience over and over. And um, so I, I definitely become very competitive with entering beers for these competitions. But we, um, yeah, we worked really well together. Um, working with Victor was awesome because he foc focused on loggers. Um, and that was the main reason I wanted to go work with him was to just be able to get a better understanding of what he was doing with these loggers and why they tasted so good. And so, yeah, that was awesome working with Victor. I then went to um, Noble Aleworks after that, and so I was at Noble for five years and running the beer program there, and so that was the first time that I ran a beer program, and it was, yeah, it was awesome. I fell on my face a bunch with not understanding how to put a recipe together, not understanding water chemistry, and, um, you know, slowly things kind of came in, came in line as I just failed up, you know, and so continuing to learn from my mistakes, tasting the beer, and then improving upon it. And so, yeah, I was at Noble for five years. Um, during that time, we totaled humble brag, by the way. Um, <laughs> humble brag? Is that, is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, during that time, we were Brewery of the Year at World Beer Cup, um, which was just still like the biggest shock ever oh, to yeah, me. Yeah. I, like I, uh, that, that whole moment, my, that moment was so awesome too, because right before I left on that trip, 
uh, my wife and I had found out that we were having twin boys. Oh. And so I'm like, I get out there, and then this whole thing happens. Um, we want a gold for IPA, uh, a silver for a Goza, and then a bronze for a double IPA. And it was just one of those, like, life-turning moments. Sure, where. Sure. Like maybe you can make a career out of this. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like that. Um, maybe this isn't just a short-term thing that I'm doing, kind of on the side, or yeah, you know, until I figure out what I want to do with my life. No, exactly. Yeah. I guess you know those that absolutely you know um, goes through your mind where it's just like, why, why am I doing this? I need to get a better job where I can support my family, right, or right, right. You know the range of other things, but we, um, yeah, we had that moment, and then. Um, it was from that point on that I was just like, okay, I need to, I need to open a brewery. Yeah. Like, and it was a, it was awful timing though. I mean, I like, (laughs) I never want to experience, experience, experience all of what that was. Again, we, um, in September, what is that? 2016. Yeah, that is 2016. So in September, 2016, my boys were born. They were 10 weeks early. So they were in the NICU for eight weeks, and I was still working at Noble at That's that really time. I had uh, our oldest, who's now 14, was in the NICU for 12 days, but he was six weeks early. Yeah. Oh, man. It's rough. Yeah. It's rough. You're just, well, I, you're helpless. Yeah. Completely yeah. helpless. And I know it's, the feeling. And so then, you know, when the, things finally change, um, they got out of there. We, um, yeah, we started working. Um, me and Brian, Brian was the, um, the CEO at Noble and then, um, I was the brewer and, um, he had already left Noble back in like August of that year. And so he was trying to figure out what he was going to do. If he was going to just go be a CEO at another brewery or if he was going to, um, start his own with me. And so we, we kept talking about it over and over. And then it wasn't until this brewery, um, Valiant came to um, came to Brian and they started talking about um, how they weren't doing well and um, that they wanted to get out of the the whole right. the whole game and so yeah we were just at the right place at the right time we we worked out this deal with those guys we were able to buy all their equipment it's a massive acceleration in terms of getting a brewery up up and online you know compared to the like a year and a half build out oh. phase and cutting trench drains yes. and all the gigantic pain in the ass of getting permits in place and you know dealing yeah no so we still That's had little, to like we still had to get all the permits um you know kind of changed over to us but right, right. that wasn't that bad but we ended up moving in april of 2017 and then opening up in june and so we just, you know, had this two and a half months. moved month, in and opened up. Two and a half months. Two and a half months later. Yeah. It was That's, awesome. That is amazing. So, I mean, yeah. it, it was a crazy time. Um, before that, I was a stay-at-home dad with the kids. Uh, my wife was working because she made more money than I did, and it made the most sense. And so we had that going. And then, and then yeah, April 2017, we, we flipped, and uh, my wife started staying at home with the boys. And then I... Um, yeah, started up the green cheek thing with Brian, my business partner. And yeah, we just, man, we just started on this path of just working 
endlessly <laughs> and like that first year it's the dream right that's what everybody <laughs> dreams about when they well, want to own their own brewery i think that that's the thing that like i, I we're find just gonna f- be drinking beer and hanging out with our friends oh. all day it's just gonna be this nonsense oh it's gonna be so good well it's like i i think that you know guys getting into working into a brewery for the first time yeah. that's what they're thinking so i already had like this experience to where i knew that that wasn't the case right right but the thing that i think brian and i joke about more than anything else is like uh, this this one line where it's like oh man yeah let's open up a brewery dude we're gonna have we're gonna have more time we're gonna uh we're gonna make more money like that's that's what we need to be doing instead of just working our lives away for somebody else and it's like i would take working for somebody else (laughs) any day of the week like i literally want to do i'd love to do like a cbc talk on don't open a brewery yeah, I, I could probably do the same thing on "Don't Have Kids," but like, yeah, um, yeah. only because it's like it's it's way more work than you could ever imagine, and it's 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 extremely difficult. Like I um, that first year of the business, I between trying to um, do everything myself, uh, which like was a problem in itself that took some time to get over. That I. Got to delegate. I got to. I got to hire more people. Right. I need to delegate. Like, um, but we also like. We didn't think that things were going to be successful right out of the gate. Yeah. And so, the day that we opened up, we had a line of fifty people to get in, and um, it was just such a cool shock of like how. There's your humble brag again. Well, well, well done. <laughs> yeah, like I, I mean, like, but I and I and I, and I, mean, yeah, I mean it yeah. in a way that it's just like we. Brian and I were expecting to, uh, we literally didn't hire anyone for the bar. Oh gosh. <laughs> and at this point we had, yeah, yeah. we had one employee who, uh, his title is employee number one. And, um, so it was just the three of us going through this whole thing. And then I, I had called my buddy who runs a, um, a restaurant, um, locally and, he was going to bartend with us for the opening night. So I'm like, Hey, it might be kind of busy. So, you know, we'll just do, if you guys can, you know, if you can come down and bring a friend, like, you know, one of your bartenders, it'd be great. Right. And so then the four of us bartended the first night and it was just insane. <laughs> and then like, and then Brian and I are just like, okay, I guess we have to hire a staff. And like, you know, cause like <laughs> quickly, well, cause we, yeah. we, we didn't want to like open the doors and sure, then just sure. no one shows up and we're like, cool. Well, uh, I can at least get some work done while I'm here yeah, and the yeah. taste room's open and I can pour a beer every once in a while or whatever. Right. And so, yeah, once, once seeing that, it was, uh, that was a, that was a cool, you know, um, moment. And then, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And you got things off the ground pretty quickly by the time you know, World Beer Cup of 2018 came around. Uh, you know, you did all right in a pretty uh, hotly contested category yeah. in that one. And a, won a silver medal in American IPA for that one and then followed it up with uh, two bronzes at uh, 2018 uh, Great American Beer Festival. So 2018 didn't suck for you guys. <laughs> Let's it's talk pretty a little, cool, man. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about West Coast IPA. Uh, but first, five generations of hops grown in Yakima Valley, Washington, sold directly from their farm to you at Hops Direct. Skip the middlemen. Go for the farm fresh green. 
Hops Direct hops are harvested, processed, and kept in cold storage here on their farm until sh- they are shipped straight to you. Find 100 plus domestic and imported varieties in pellet and leaf year round on their website by the pound at wholesale pricing. Thanks for supporting family owned. Shopping small is a big deal. www.hopsdirect.com, info at hopsdirect.com, or hit them up at hopsdirect. Also, Balancing Barley and Hops is your expertise, and for Clarion Lubricants, food-grade lubricants is theirs. The team at Clarion knows that when it comes to making great beer, you're the expert. When it comes to supplying food-grade lubricants backed by service-oriented professionals, they're the experts. Clarion will work with you to create an efficient lubrication program that helps protect your brewery. To speak to an expert, dial 1-855-MY-CLARION. That's one 855 Six nine two five two seven four, or visit ClarionLubricants.com. Clarion Lubricants, the expert that experts trust. So, you win uh, uh, all of this in 2018 on the uh, American IPA front. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, uh, you know, as we are tasting beers and as we tasted beers through our IPA issue this year, which is you know means breweries send us hundreds and hundreds of IPAs uh, to taste through. You know. We found it really fascinating to see how American IPA as a style is evolving. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely moving, you know, more onto these contemporary hops flavors, a little more fruit and tropical fruit. Um, bitterness is dialing back significantly. Yeah. Body, caramel malts are starting to disappear. Yep. You know, all of these pieces seem to be moving and, and you know, dry hopping load is definitely increasing. And so we're watching, you know, even West Coast IPA not become the equivalent of hazy IPA, but also kind of learn from that general process, um, you know, and kind of borrow the things that work while still kind of retaining some of that, you know, crisper, sharper, uh, you know, West Coast IPA feel. Talk to me a little bit about how you see that happening and how you've pushed in these kinds of directions with the uh, American style, West Coast style IPAs that you brew. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, you know, I continue to try as as many of the beers that I can out there, um, and it's and it is interesting watching this beer style evolve. I love, I love watching something you know, like American IPA continue to change nationwide to where, you know, people were brewing these, these West coast IPAs were so over the top, aggressively bitter. And like, I enjoyed, uh, I actually side subject or tangent is just like, I had, um, Bagby, Bagby beers, um, what a time to be alive IPA and it's just this American IPA. And I can't remember the last time that I enjoyed a beer that, um, had that big aggressive kind of resinous, uh, bitterness that, um, you know, that worked so well with the rest of the beer because I just end up staying away from, you know, um, no offense, the stone, the stone beers and the green flash beers that it were just like, they were just hitting you over the over the mouth with this like resinous hot bitterness, and so I ended up falling more falling more in love with you know the uh, the Russian River beers and the Firestone beers, and even like early on the you know Ballast Point Sculpin, where it's just like you know having a Ballast Point Sculpin for the first time and um, and then also just the Russian River uh, IPAs and just kind of sitting back and going, like, what is it that I like about this? 
why is it different you know and a lot of it had to do with that uh that more tropical sort of like hop character definitely in you know something like sculpin um and then from the first time that I started making American IPA, uh, the first the first one I, I I had done was at Hangar Twenty Four. I made this Columbus IPA, um, mainly because they were just really long on Columbus, and <laughs> so I had to like you know uh, I, right, I I was right. told I had to work that in somehow. Sure. And so um, well, there are worse hops to have to work with. Oh man, I I, I can't stand that hop anymore. I just oh. like it blew me out forever. Yeah, yeah. And so you know that was a base of. Um, um, at the time, it was Maris Otter and C60, and it was this very, like, you know, caramely IPA with um, some sweetness and then this aggressive resinous bitterness. And, you know, I, I think that, like, you know, those beers are still cool. You can, you know, um, but for me, I just end up not liking that direction nearly as much as the, you know, the the direction that I continue to go with these beers from um, when I was working at Noble and continuing to make the beers um at noble was i just continued to realize the more that i took that crystal malt out of the beer the more i like would pull a sample and go oh i like this more like it already like you know the what is it about that though i I think like yeah because i think like like the crystal malt thing ends up tasting like an old beer when you first make it (laughs) like it already somehow like does that right so it's like it's just interesting the you know the way that your mind can work on that and and of course like you know oxidation characters um, can be rep- reminiscent of you know the crystal malt thing but the um, the more that I continue to take that crystal malt character out of there and then just work on the water profile and yeah. um, and understand like how to um, use the salts in my favor to create body from that and um what does that mean though yeah i mean like is it the uh, the types of salts that you're using or is it it's, yeah. not, it's more than just quantity then and well, uh, ratios right ratios i mean like you know the ratio um that i end up liking is almost a two to one where it's like two parts gypsum to one part chloride for west coast ipa because that i i think it brings just enough sulfate to the game to where it's just noticeable Mm -hmm. but more importantly it helps dry out the palate and so i'm not a firm believer in the idea that sulfate accentuates hops i think that that's a bullshit line like but what i do think it does is it brings a dryness to the beer that you may want you know if you're looking to lighten up a beer or you're looking to dry it out that's where sulfate comes in on the other hand chloride is all about just filling out the beer and the mouthfeel and everything. And so, um, yeah, anyway, um, and then I've continued to just... Are there specific types that you prefer in terms of your sulfates and chlorides? Oh, no, no, they did, you know, okay. <laughs> all, all, all the same, all the same that I know of. But I know um, a few other brewers that uh, get a little picky about... Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've never, yeah, maybe, I've never, maybe on the hazy side. Anyway, we'll, we'll approach that. Yeah, yeah, like, time. yeah, like, yeah, that other chloride that I got from, you know, this other supplier definitely doesn't have the same hit. I'm, I'm just saying. Oh, I'm man. Just saying. Yeah, I'm going to look into There's this. There's some conversations See? out there. See? There you go. Go. Okay. Um, you know, so you're you're working on water chemistry. You've certainly started pulling out crystal malts. Talk to me a little bit about some of the uh, you know, envisioning hops and then uh, the ways that you are, are using those hops to kind of, uh, you know, push this character that you're looking for in the West yeah. Coast IPA. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, um, for me, 
having a higher alpha hop is nice for um, for bittering. And so, um, and, and then I'm also looking for a low cohumulone hop so that I can get um, less aggressive bitterness. Okay. Um, you know that because uh, then you end up you get you end up getting like um, uh, what's it called a uh, a harshness you know with those like higher cohumulone hops and so um, that uh, ends up being an important thing to look at. So for me, I use Simcoe for bittering and I try to get that higher alpha Simcoe. Um, we do a for West Coast IPA. Uh, I think the last recipe we do about a hundred IBU charge for bittering. Um, the base beer is just one hundred percent Pilsner malt. Um, I don't, I don't see the point of using anything else. Um, I just want like rad hop character. And, okay. And so, um, are you, so, you know, boiling longer or doing anything else to add color into that mix? Obviously, Pilsner's going to be really, really light. Yeah, we end up doing a ninety-minute boil, mainly based off of the fact that I I need to make sure that I'm getting at least a seven percent evaporation for uh, you know DMS precursors. And so, yeah. if I can get, um, I you know get that going, then I'm in a good spot. And so. We'll, um, so yeah, then we'll do this, uh, we'll do a 90 minute boil at hundred IBU. Um, the moment the boil is done, we are hitting it with cold water to bring down the temperature immediately so that we can keep, um, DMS out of the game, DMS precursors. And so we're then doing a, um, pound per barrel whirlpool with, um, a range of different hops. Um, if it's more classic West coast, we'll, we'll go, all Simcoe um, through um, the Whirlpool as well, and then um, you know, we'll be, and then we have a we have a range of like five different like West Coast IPA brands sure, that sure. just all have a different dry hop. You know, they're they're all pretty similar for the base, and we'll um, slightly change color here and there, or we'll use something like Gambrinus Pills for some of the newer school ones where we want it super light in color and then on the other ones where we're looking for a little bit of color we can use some mar pilsner and maybe a dab of carafa just to just to throw in a touch of color yeah and so um yeah so then we end up going that route and then on the dry hop end we are looking at um we dry hop once we wait for attenuation for west coast type we wait for attenuation to finish enough to be able to harvest yeast and then we're dry hopping just adding it to the top of the tank and then um for those beers we do about a three pound per barrel dry hop and then um we then just wait for hop creep. bags loose um yeah we use pellets um okay. we use pellets and just dump them in but the um yeah, and then we just wait for hop creep, you know, and that, yeah, uh, yeah. so that can be, you know, for us, that can hop be from, creep, it's such a thing right now. Oh, it's the worst. Like <laughs> it's the worst because it, it's a newer, it's a newer thing. When I was making beers at Noble, um, doing the same things. And then I swear the, like, I want to say 2017 harvest of hops and on has been, uh, wait, no, not 2016. 2016 harvest and on has been the change. Yeah. And so the biggest thing, you know, uh, that people talk about is the hopping or the kiln temperature. Kiln temperatures, yeah. Um, 
and you know it's, it's it's just hilarious you know brewers we've been asking forever oh man you got to bring down that kiln temperature really just keep uh all the aromatics that we're looking for in these hops right. and then uh and then the moment they do that we're then going well shit man now i you know now my seven day dry hop is now a you know a 10 or a 14 day dry right. hop right and so um yeah it uh it definitely changes everything We've had a lot of conversations about that, and obviously there's a whole bunch of different methods to try to combat or just accelerate it and uh, get it over with fast, as fast as you possibly can. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that speaks to the idea that all of this is evolving. You know, the right. agriculture is evolving, the brewing is evolving, processes are evolving, and uh, you know, the it speaks to this beautiful system of feedback between brewers and the, ag- and the agricultural side to answer those questions to create more problems and then figure out how to answer those, you know, yep, yep. You know solve those new problems that you create. Um, but it seems like we're still moving in that right direction. Talk to me a little bit when you're uh, thinking about these hops combinations, as you build some of these new IPAs, you mentioned you've got at least five different brands of sure. West coast IPA. Mm-hmm. How do you uh, think about uh, differentiating flavors among those so that they are different and unique uh, experiences for con- uh, customers? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, to be as blunt as, or be as transparent as I can about this. I think that, um, we, we started off with changing things slightly, um, from brand to brand. And as time has gone on, I've wanted more of a, uh, differentiation between them. And so, um, I'm trying to continue to change, uh, more than just the dry hop on these beers. And so, um, you know, um, changing IBU or hop schedule in the kettle, um, for certain beers. And, um, but when it comes to the, the, the dry hop, I mean, that ends up being the, you know, the, the driving force of what really changes those, you know, the, okay. the flavor and the aromatics of those beers. And so it's like, um, with hops being the agricultural product that they are, you, or at least I end up changing the dry hop schedule every year. Um, so for every new crop, every new harvest year. Yeah. Every new harvest year, there's a, there's, you know, percentages of of hops change in every way. So it's just like, you know, the first thing that we're looking forward to the moment that we're getting these new hops in is, um, doing single dry hopped IPAs into our five barrel tanks. And so we have, um, we have some, uh, we'll do West coast IPA in our 60 barrel tanks. And so we can just pull that over to a five barrel tank right before dry hop we can hit it with just the brand new lot of citra or just the brand new lot of simcoe or mosaic and and then we can just start working on these um these side by sides of what is actually what are these hops actually doing in the beer because as brewers we spend a lot of time doing these rubs you know where we're smelling hops and we're you know, we're, we're kind of coming up with this opinion of what we think this certain lot sure, is. Sure, It's a little speculation based on experience, but yeah, still speculative. Absolutely. And so it ends up being one of those things to where it, it really doesn't matter until you finally get the hops in the beer and you see how they perform. Because right. yeah, there's been countless times where I've smelled what I thought were incredible lots of hops. And then the way that they act in the beer, I'm, I'm second guessing and going like, oh, man, what did I not get right with right. this selection? Um, and so that becomes difficult. And so, yeah, there's, there's years where you have the best thing that you have is, you know, um, your Citra, um, there's years where you have the best thing is your mosaic or, you know, whatever other hop. And so it's just a matter of continuing to like drop and hire certain amounts of, 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 of these hops so that you can, um, 
still make, you know, um, an expressive beer that is, um, you know, the hop bomb that you're kind of like hoping to make. I want something that's very aromatic, that is bitter, but not, um, not aggressively resiny, sticky bitterness, but like, you know, I think, I, I think our IPAs end up, our West Coast IPAs actually end up drinking more like, um, certain people's pale ales. Like, you know, they just have like, even at 7% or 7.2%, they have a drinkability to them that is, is, is just there. And so I, um, I want that to, you know, be able to, the moment you smell it, be able to, for it to pop. But I think that, I mean, that's all brewers. Sure, sure. I do like that idea, though, of, of brewing small, probably taproom, only, you know, five barrel batches yeah. of this where you can really evaluate that. I mean, you know, in talking to other brewers, uh, you know, some are doing it on one barrel batches on a, on a pilot system. Um, you know, some are going full in on 15 and 20 barrel batches and just saying, fuck it, let's try it right. and see how it works. And uh, if we need to fix it in the dry hop after we're tasting it and coming out, then we'll, we'll keep fixing it at that point. You know, but uh, but that idea of being able to evaluate each hop individually through uh, you know that kind of single hopped uh, approach is kind of a nice one, and still seems like it's something you can sell and be confident in selling, even if it's not exactly or perfectly, or you know at least helps you understand you know yeah. how those kinds of changes happen. What um, you know that raises a question for me: What are some of the changes that you actually taste you know in those hops from that point of rubbing it and what you think it's going to to, you know end up in a beer like to actually tasting that beer where has some of that disconnect been what have you smelled and thought you're going to get that you didn't get and uh have you been able to figure out why some of those things are the way they are to be able to correct for it when you're selecting in future years yeah i think you know i end up um I end up getting a lot of help from the guys at CellarMaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tim and Connor at CellarMaker are some of my favorite people to yeah. smell hops with. And um, last year we um, we smelled a bunch of hops together. And if you're ever in, if you ever have the chance to, like, for all the brewers out there to rub some hops with Connor from CellarMaker, it is an event. I mean, like, the the descriptors that that guy uses is. I mean, it is so much fun. I mean, like, uh, one of the ones that I give him the most shit for is cotton candy pixie dust. Um, and so there's... <laughs> I definitely want to taste that hop. Oh, man. And so um, it is fun, though. The um, You know, it's it's incredibly frustrating in, um, to to do hop selection and um, and also very fun. And, you know, you, you get uh, to be able to have this um, connection to the hop farmer and um, the overall process. I mean, just being in Yakima yeah. during that yeah. time of selection is so invigorating um, as a brewer and just like the excitement of like, all right, man, yeah, like what am I going to get for this year? And it's like you can you can absolutely get a couple turds, but you can also hopefully end up with, you know, a hop that you're surprised about. You know, I think that like. Um, the thing that we, or the thing that I've, that I've been, I think thinking about the most is the, the first couple times that I was doing hop selection, I was, I I hate onion and garlic character and hops as an example. And so I was trying to avoid that at all costs. And what I've continued to be able to figure out is like, there's this level of onion and garlic in the, in the hops that brings intensity that is all fruit and and so insanely good and so 
you have to kind of find this like you know for these um, these high aroma it's almost hops. like salt making caramel you know, uh, you oh, know pop out of a flavor yeah that's a great having, example having some of that thing that by itself might not be pleasant but in combination actually helps heighten uh, some other uh, elements of that flavor right yeah no, i know i totally agree and, it, and it's so it's it's interesting because we um, as long as it's not only onion and garlic oh my god I, yeah i hate that stuff uh so i think in 2017 um you know smelling through hops it was it was you know um and then before that at noble it was like okay yeah trying to get the least amount of that character as possible and then um last year at harvest we ended up selecting a lot that had um a little bit more onion garlic but it also had all of this other these higher levels of intensity of different fruit and everything and so we ended up selecting this lot and it's just it was so cool because in the beer we ended up with no onion garlic uh, people just call it og um and <laughs> no then, og okay yeah so you're just looking for you know no no og no and then um so we ended up with um, no og in the beer and then on the other hand just got this powerhouse mosaic and so it was um so cool to you know just continue to like learn a little bit more about like hey how does it smell on the table versus how it ends up in the beer and so um continuing to learn that from year to year you know i'm i'm sure i learned i'm gonna learn another lesson this year on how i selected hops and trying to take the best notes while at the selection table to you know sort of go hey this is why i'm picking this hop and um just writing down as much as you can so that whenever you go to reference those notes and you have the beer in front of you, you can, you can go, Oh, okay. And then hopefully make a new note of just, well, next time, you know, we're going to want less onion garlic than what you thought was good or, you know, a range of other things. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. This, uh, one of the cool things that I, uh, um, from selection this last year that was really cool was, um, Chuck Silva was there from Silva Brewing Company, uh, formerly of Green Flash, and um, he was um, selecting with our group. And he, um, there was these two different lots of Citra on the table, and to have him there was um, was, was was really you know exciting for me because um, I respect the hell out of that guy. And so he, um, there was this lot of Citra that I didn't prefer as much, and there was this other lot of Citra that I I really loved. And so he just like has this whole like comment where he's like, yeah, I, I really like the citra over here because it's more classic citrus, um, character. And the lot that you like on the other hand is more pineapple tropical fruit and, but it doesn't smell like citra. And, you know, for me on my end, I don't like, I don't care what the hot variety is. Right. Right. And so like, I'm all about that pineapple and that tropical fruit and I'm going, I'm going straight for that. And so we all like, you know, it just, it's neat to see all of us selecting differently to where I know I can adjust our hop program. However, in order to make that citra pop the right way. Um, but, um, other people on the other hand are looking for a pinpoint, Right character that um, you know might not be there. Well, that's the, you know that's the thing when you're selecting, you're not choosing between good and bad. You know, it's not this binary. Hey, this is good and this is bad. If it were that simple, then you wouldn't need to go out there and right. and rub and smell and taste these kinds of things. You know, um, not your tasting rubbing hops, but uh, you know, through that process, you know, you are, you know, it, it's 
it's almost like saying, yeah, there's this uh, pigment of paint, uh, this, you know, red, uh, yep. better or worse than this other shade. Well, you know, it's all a matter of preference based on what you're trying to accomplish sure. and how you're trying to kind of create this thing. And so, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a fun way. Are there any other kind of combinations that you envision or any kind of, you know, spark of creativity that, you know, these things that pull out for you where, uh, you start thinking about ways that different hops combinations can complement each other? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the things that I'm, I mean, the, the most excited about if, if I'm not going too much off the subject is, um, Strata. So Strata from Indie Hops, um, not that I want to give them a plug because <laughs> I think everyone's going to try to buy all those hops and then I'm not going to be able to buy them anymore, but, um, just get your contracts in place and, uh, don't worry about it. Right? Oh man. <laughs> um, that hop variety is just the best thing to come out since mosaic. Yeah. Like it is so... Um, it's, it's just a, it's an absolute powerhouse of fruit. And so it's like, um, it's so neat to, this will be our first year on contract with Strata. And so I'm really excited about getting that into our program and seeing how it works, um, as a smaller component, um, to a larger component in the beer. Um, so that's exciting, but you know, I mean, just smelling and tasting through these different hops or not tasting, smelling through these different (laughs) hops. Sorry, that was my fault. <laughs> you gave me the tasting thing, uh, which which happens on accident, by the way. Like yeah, you know, yeah. you have it, you have all this, uh, you know, lupulin uh, on your hands, and then like, oh man, if you rub your eye, oh, God. oh yeah, it's you're the worst. like you're fucked. Like, but on yeah. the other hand, like you know, like maybe like you just kind of like put your finger in your mouth or something. Like you're just sitting there, like, oh, why did I do that? I mean, like I don't know why you'd put your finger in your mouth any other time anyway, but never mind. Um, yeah, I mean, like you're like picking up a cracker or something, and it's like it gets on. Yeah, I, I get. You. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Yeah, the um, but yeah, smelling through the new lots. The the thing I honestly just get the most excited about is just how does this translate into the beer, and then from there, like, um, you know, how do we just continue to make better beer with uh, right. with these hops, and you know, give the respect to these farmers that put all of this work into um, this agricultural product and, um, you know, how can I use it the best way possible? You, uh, before we started talking about hops, you mentioned pulling some other levers, you know, as you work to differentiate some of your other uh, IPAs from each other. Talk to me a little bit about some of those, uh, other, uh, elements that you're tweaking in order to produce some different experiences and a little more diversity among your West coast IPAs. Yeah. I mean, so the, I mean, the biggest changes, um, for the West Coast IPAs end up being those slight changes in color um, and, and base malts. And, um, and then the way that we're hitting the hop schedule on some of those beers, you know, if um, we're trying to make a West Coast IPA that just has like the absolute cleanest bitterness, um, which wouldn't be like a, a competition beer at all because I think it's too, um, I don't know, modern or new school or whatever uh, it's not quite american ipa but it's still fun to do is just all hop extract for um for bittering and then doing this big whirlpool charge um and ending up with this beer that um just drinks so um pleasantly full and um bitter but like but in a way that like um you know almost isn't quite ipa but like but i but i it almost ends up being more pilsnery like of sorts, but I'm in love with it. And so, Hmm. um, that's a fun thing. Um, 
the uh, and then you know and then and then changing hop schedule in order to um, have some of these beers have a little bit more resinous quality to them and so hitting them for like a 30 minute edition and a 15 minute edition mm-hmm. um, in light amounts in order to help build this um, this structure that um, does have a little bit of that um, that that sticky resinous quality that lingers on your palate a little bit differently and so that um, hop tannin structure I think ends up just being um, um, a good experience depending on how you're trying to build it and so we're continuing to, so we differentiate our, you know, the range of different IPAs that way. Um, and then on the dry hop side, continuing to um, work on, you know, what excites us and then hopefully what other people might get excited about too. And so we have Radiant, Radiant Beauty is our maybe most, not classic. And I, I cause I don't even think that like, I don't think that we're making classic American IPA necessarily by any means, but we, um, a little more throwback to the old school style. Well, I mean like, yeah, like, I mean, cause we're not, you know, we don't use caramel malt, you know, right. We, um, the more dextrins that we put in the beer hop creep just <laughs> slowly chews through. And so we're, we're just adding more tank time if we use any dextrinous, um, malts or if we do a higher mash temp. And so, Everything about these beers are already lean, and yeah. it's, and it's just the um, the ABV that ends up f- you know filling out the beer the most. Yeah, for something like Radiant Beauty, we do um, uh, what we like to call the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity is Citra, Mosaic, and Simcoe. I think there's a way to do that. <laughs> um, and then um, we have uh, West Coast IPA is Dead, which is a name that uh, Paul Jones from Cloudwater. Uh, well, he made this statement at a Southern California is at Modern Times. It's like hop seminar, and he's up on this panel, and he's just like starts talking about hazy IPA, and he's just like, "Look, man, West Coast IPA is dead," and he's saying this to an entire crowd of Southern California brewers that are all like, you know, the majority of these guys are making West Coast IPA, and so just like one of my favorite like lines ever, and so um, we named it we named it a beer after that. We also have um, Happily Deceased, uh, which is a Nelson. Uh, we've been getting these great Nelson and Motueka from Freestyle Farms out of New Zealand. Right. And, oh, my God, it's just so nice to get Nelson, um, you know, without having to buy it on the spot market for $30 a pound or whatever. And instead, we can get it through Freestyle and actually get contracted out. And I don't that's, have to right. trade my firstborn for him, <laughs> you know. And so, like, yeah. uh, that's super sweet. So that's a Nelson Mosaic Um combination we also have member ipa that is a question mark on the end um and that um that's an all mosaic ipa um and so i mean like overall it's like they're all citra mosaic simcoe nelson and soon to be strata beers okay and then once we i don't know figure out what that next hop is we'll be incorporating that too before we were talking about whirlpooling, you mentioned hitting it with some water to bring temperature down. Yeah. So you're doing a little lower temperature whirlpool then. Um, what do you find, uh, you know, th- what, what temperature you generally shoot for and how does that impact, you know, say, you know, uh, bitterness pickup even through that kind of whirlpool? How do you adjust for that as you're thinking about a recipe uh, and understanding what those different whirlpool temperatures do totally. to affect the, uh, the impact of the hops? Yeah, I mean, overall, we... we for those West Coast IPAs, I think we 
end up hitting about 190 for uh, that whirlpool temperature. And I mean, the main reason why I ended up doing it from the first place was the heat exchanger that we have is just slightly undersized. And so I'm uncomfortable with the amount of time that it takes to get hot water through that heat exchanger and then into the um, fermenter. And so in order to, you know, give us some more time um, before we're um, adding too much DMS or, uh, you know, or, you know, above the threshold of DMS, um, then we're hitting it with that, um, that water charge. And so just through the experience of continuing to make and dial in the beer and then tasting it, you know, it's just like, cool, the, this part of it is not going to change the, you know, the say pound per barrel of hops and that temperature is going to be the constant. All I need to do on the other end is just adjust that, uh, 60 or 90 minute addition of hops in order to get the structure that we're looking for. And so, you know, there's times where we, uh, feel like the beer is just, is, is too aggressively bitter. And so we'll bring it down on the next batch and vice versa. And so it's, you know, um, our entire program is, um, really are you then are you double batching into tanks into uh, or triple or quadruple batching? I don't know what size is the brew house or we do 25 barrel batches okay. and um, those go into we do two batches into a so you can adjust tank. you know batch to batch if something oh absolutely comes up. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely but like I'm mainly talking about finished beer is what okay. we're tasting you know and so it's like um, our, you know the entire program we have um, we have IBU numbers that you know we use right. to like bitter the beer and yada 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 but i'm not getting them tested because all i care about is how does it taste right and so um then it's just a matter of adjusting the palate from there and going like hey do i want you know to stick some hops over on this side or do i just want to increase the hop bitterness and and so i think it's just a, a range of those types of directions to where it's just uh you know a palate driven program how do you then, you know, take what your sensory is and convey that in actionable, uh, you know, instructions to a brew house staff? <laughs> um, that is one of the uh, bottlenecks of our company. Okay. Absolutely. Like, yeah. um, I write, so I, I write all the recipes for everything that we do, and I just taste the, I taste the beer when it's finished, and, you know, and then I make some notes and then the next, you know, next time we're making that beer or, or a similar beer, you know, I'm applying, you know, whatever that sort of lesson was. And so, um, yeah, my small staff right now, I only have two other people other than me. Okay. Um, but I, um, I've continued to work myself out of the brewery and so I'm physically not brewing very often these days. Uh, maybe, you know, a couple times a month or something like that whenever somebody needs a day off or, you know, the range of other things. But, um, yeah, they just know that, yeah, that I, that I'm going to give them the recipe and then they're going to make it. And it's not like, like it's, the question is always, Hey, I, uh, I see we have West coast IPAs dead on the schedule. Anything you want to change about it? And then immediately, you know, I'm working on, on that and then finishing up that brew sheet and giving yeah. it to him because there's almost always an improvement, in my opinion, somewhere yeah. with every single beer. That's an interesting philosophy, and it's it's one that I personally agree with. I know not every brewer, you know, approaches it that way. Some view recipes as recipes. Right. And sacrosanct, and let's not change it. You know, and then right. there are others that, uh, that view the beer being the brand and the relationship to that and as palates change and as as you know tastes change among your consumers 
those recipes ought to kind of move with them so right. that they, you know, hit people with that same kind of expectation. Neither of them is right or wrong. They're just different viewpoints, you know, to, yeah. to approach these things from. It seems like you kind of lean towards the latter on that. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting, you know, I, I mean, when you look at those two different sort of philosophies um, on whether it's the the recipe or the evolution of a beer, um, you know, at BJ's and Hangar 24, it was all about the recipe. You, you don't deviate from the recipe. That's it. We'll change other processes if we need to, but, right. like, that's the recipe. Don't change it. And on the other hand, I think like what I ended up learning from when I worked with Victor Novak at Taps was um, this this approach that I currently have, which is no, we're we're brewers, like these we're working with an you know agricultural product, and we're going to continue to um, evolve all of these beers um, over over the course of time, and and you know they're you end up having recipes that you feel like are tried and true sure for maybe a year or two <laughs> you know right right uh maybe 6 months and then all of a sudden you know you learn something um you know you're doing an off flavor course or you're doing um a range of other things you're just you know reading and learning and all of a sudden or you oh man or you just have somebody else's beer that you know yeah inspires you in a certain way you're like you know what i'm gonna start doing this now and then um so you you know just being able to being able to be small enough to be able to make those changes i think is one of my favorite parts of being a small brewer and um yeah i think it ends up being the like you know the the thing that drives uh just the the evolution of um of our beers for sure i like that and i i you know i i equate it to artists uh, looking at and uh, contemplating each other's work and moving aesthetics in a direction yeah. that when you look at, you know, schools of art, you know, artists responded to each other and new possibilities and folks innovated and folks looked at that and couldn't make the same art that they made before because what that artist put out there changed the way that they even looked at at the world and at light and at at shape and sure, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. You know, and so when you look at it, not to you know get too pretentious about this, but you know, there is that process of creative people interacting with each other, pushing each other and making suggestions and and uh, creating new opportunities and showing what's possible. Right. And once you see what's possible in this other kind of way, it can also be impossible to go back to that old way that you did things. Um, just it doesn't feel relevant. It doesn't feel now. It doesn't feel current. It doesn't feel yes. like what you should be making. Yep, totally you know? agree. And so those are definitely valid kind of approaches to be taking. Um, on that same vein, uh, I'm not going to let you get out of here without talking to me about <laughs> Brewing for competition. Sure, you mentioned it earlier, and you mentioned talking about brewing. Uh, you know, styles that were more tap room based, where sure. they're full and big, and you know, uh, will appeal to your uh, consumer base right there uh, as something that might be a little different than brewing to win competitions based on the how how the judges kind of perceive these things. Talk to me a little bit about how how you balance those things. Yeah. I mean, well, I think it's a, like, it's such a funny conversation because it's like, it's all just me thinking that I know maybe what judges are looking for. Right. 
and that in itself is is just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> like that—that's sure. a tr- you know that 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 you're that, chasing a moving train right there. It's going to be oh, in a absolutely. different place every time, right? Right, and so like you know that in itself is hilarious. Uh, and so try, but trying to um, you know just be real with yourself of like brewing for a competition. It's like I love Nelson in a uh, an American IPA, like a. But there's no way I'm going to be entering a Nelson beer into that category because I I don't think when um, uh, the range of judges smell that beer, uh, Nelson is a polarizing hop. Some people absolutely love it, and they get all of the Sauvignon Blanc or the Gooseberry or the range of other flavors. And other people smell, and all they smell is diesel. And so I think, like, you have to, you have to know these certain sort of hits that um, – will will um you know be the right beer at the right time you know this these beers take you send them in a month and a half before they're judged and so like you know your um dissolved oxygen levels have to be insanely low for uh you know for something to hit for an ipa or whatever else and so it's like um trying to trying to pretend to know what the beer is going to taste like in eight weeks is like you know from or six weeks from like when you packaged it is a little difficult uh but i end up trying those beers saving those beers and trying them the same week of um competitions to just get a better idea of like hey how well did we do on this you know i'll have one um one bottle that's stored warm and one bottle that's not and then i'll be able to do a side by side and i'll even do it with a a fresh ipa that's on tap as well and then because we spend about two to three three weeks most of our IPAs are um, only in, only being served for three weeks uh, typically um, top and then and then we're rotating to a brand new beer so it's just trying to always keep fresh beer on tap but um, anyway but brewing for competition it's um, I think the have you found that you know in those in some of that tasting that uh, certain certain hop varieties or certain ingredients um, will hold better over that kind of time and reflect better when uh, in that eight weeks, uh, when the judges are actually going to taste it, yeah, I mean, I think every time that I that I think I've known, <laughs> I ended up like proving myself wrong. Okay, so like, okay. so I feel like it's like you know, um, quite possibly has more to do with our continuing to get better and better at our process yeah, to yeah. keep dissolved oxygen levels really low, so that those hops don't die out and they can just pop. Right, and so that ends up being quite possibly the most important thing because like that um, you could have a, a beer with half of the dry hop load that yours does. But um, if you have some more, if you have, you know, a hit of oxygen in that beer with however you packaged it um, and you have your three pound per barrel dry hop, it doesn't matter. You have your five pound right, per barrel dry right. hop. It doesn't matter. Like, like you just fucked up your beer and this other one over here smells and tastes way better. And so, so do you have a specific then bottling process for these? I imagine you're not going to throw it off of uh, your standard bottling line. You, yeah, I mean, hand bottling. Do you have any uh, you know special uh, mythology and ritual around well, this? Well, yeah, the ritual is me uh, with a little counter pressure homebrew filler um, that I hook up to the tank and um, bottle straight from the tank. But like, um, yeah, it's it's an incredible, incredibly frustrating process in every way like 
Um, I try to tell the entire staff, like, okay, just stay clear of me today. Um, you're going to see me upset. And, uh, look, I, I know that this is still a childish thing to say, but uh, I'll just I'll be over here, and um, I'm going to continue to be pissed off all day. <laughs> and so it's like, because I'm just, like, sitting there, and I'm just, like, trying to get the perfect fill to where it just, like, um, domes over the, the, the very top of the neck, like, perfectly, and then, like, can cap it and, like, you know, making sure that that's dense foam instead of the... Um, those big like fisheye bubbles and like a range of other things and so it's just like you know it's fun it's uh in the worst of ways i just like to to then get just try to get say six perfect bottles and then you finally have those and you're like okay cool okay now i can move on with my day and i I, i'm gonna go clean up this bottle i threw over here and uh you know i'm gonna go apologize to this staff member and um uh buy them lunch or something but um anyway the um yeah i think I think overall, like the, the biggest advice I that I that I have, um, especially now as judging for the last three years at JBF, is just look at the way that they describe the beer, and try to look at it from an outsider point of view. Does your beer taste exactly the way that they're describing it there? And if it doesn't, don't put it in that category. Don't don't be the guy that's like, oh no no man, this isn't this isn't Hellas. That's that's how that's not how you describe Hellas. And then you submit your Hellas that is more of a pilsner, and you like you go, yes, that's a Hellas. No, you're gonna lose. Like, <laughs> like that's not how it works. And so yeah, yeah, because we sit there as a group and we read through the style guidelines, and you find the beer that hits that exactly, and you go, yep, that's it. And it also tastes and smells the best, of course. So what's next for uh, Green Cheek? What's on the horizon? Oh man, I you know we have a we have a range of different ideas, but as of now we're coming up on we're like two and a quarter years or older, whatever we are right now. But we're at about fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred barrels. We don't produce a lot. We um, half of what we make gets drank up in the tasting room or direct sales for cans, and then the other half we put in kegs and. Um, do a very small distribution network in Orange County, LA, and San Diego um, to just our favorite beer bars. Um, so that's that's what we have working for us now. We we're talking about another location. We're talking about a possible restaurant or something. But like, I don't know. We're we're trying to figure out. Like, we're just trying to figure this whole thing out. And like, <laughs> you know, I don't know all the answers. Like, I'm just trying to like I'm just trying to figure out like what's the best thing for our company and our employees and uh for brian and myself and our future and so um you know the the goal is to hopefully uh raise a couple boys that want to be brewers and i can pass the brewery (laughs) off to them at some day but like you know i uh i also keep thinking about how twisted it is for me to think like hey you're gonna want to do this like right right because it's um it's absolutely the hardest thing i've ever done Evan Price, Green Cheek Beer. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hey, mention this podcast to receive up to $1,000 worth of glycol with the purchase of any new G&D chiller. Use code BREWING for $10 in beer money at Tavor. Buy direct from the farm at hopsdirect.com. Clarion Lubricants are the experts that experts trust. If people want to find uh, Green Cheek Beer, where do they find you? Um, Check out our Instagram. I mean, that's where most of our information flows just about all of our information flows through our Instagram. Um, so that's just Green Cheek Beer, at Green Cheek Beer. And then... Um, Come visit you in the tap room? Yeah, same thing for the website, just Green Cheek Beer, but 
yeah, I mean, come to the tap room is really the, the best way to experience what we are and what we do. And it's a range of, um, we do a lot, a lot of lager brewing um, these days, um, Hellas and Pilsner. Um, we try to keep those on all the time. We do West Coast IPAs, um, mixed cultures, sour beers, um, and then just like hazy IPAs and a range of like weird hazy IPA type beers. <laughs> Well, Evan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, man. It's been no, a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Cheers. Man. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.